This morning we are talking about the growing church. Last week, you'll remember, we talked about the giving church. We focused on the message of the giving church. The message was clear that our giving isn't just determined by dollars in the offering plate. Remember that? Remember we talked about the giving church and what giving is and what it isn't? That giving is not just talking about what dollars we put in the offering plate, but in what we give in serving each other and serving God. The, the giving church. We want to be a church that's known for giving. We want to be a church that's known for giving, not just, in, not just finances, but giving of ourselves to each other. We talked about the, the, the widow with the two mites. That she saw the rich people giving what would be considered thousands of dollars or gold and silver, and she just had two little mites. She just had those two little things. You, you could equal it to 50 cents. She just had 50 cents in her pocket, but you take the 50 cents, and, and, and she, she only had that 50 cents, and she gave it. She saw the people giving the thousands of dollars. She saw the people giving the gold and the silver, but she had the 50 cents, and she gave it, and Jesus sees it and says that she has given more than everybody else here. Jesus saw that. that. Then you say, well, hold on a second. She only had 50 cents. But that's right. She only had 50 cents. She only had two mites. Maybe you only have some, some talent in something. Maybe you're not filled with riches in the music ministry, but you have some talent, and so you give what you have. You give all that you have. We weren't just talking about money. We were talking about our service. We were talking about a condition of our heart. They say, well, Pastor David, I'm not filled with riches in ministering to children. No, but you have something, don't you? You have something that you can pour out. The, the giving church. We talked about that last week. This week, I want to focus on the growing church. The growing church. I want to prepare you this morning. This is not what I would call a comfortable message. Dave, stand in front of those doors right there so that nobody can leave. But this is not what I would consider a comfortable message. This is not a message that would tickle the ears. This is, not a, this is, a, message, this is a message that is supposed to challenge you. This is a message that challenges me. Because ultimately, we're in this together, aren't we? We're in this together. It challenges you and it challenges me. This is the word of the Lord. It's out of my love for you. I hope you see out of my love for you, my prayer for you this morning is that you would see my heart. My prayer for you this morning is that you would see my heart. That, that as I was preparing this message, it led me in ways I didn't think it would. As I was praying about what to preach on, the Holy Spirit led me into these passages in ways I didn't think he would. When people hear about a growing church, or they hear the church is growing, what do they automatically think of? Anybody? Numbers. They, th they think of, of an increase in attendance. Right? They think of, well, they, they hear that there's, there's more people coming. The church is growing. When you say, well, the church is growing, they say, well, praise the Lord, the church is growing. That means there's more people coming to the service. 
I want to challenge that view this morning. That the growing church is not just the number of people who come into the service. The number of people in the church does not determine, hear my heart here, the number of people in this church does not determine whether or not this church is growing. The number of people in this church does not determine whether or not this church is growing. There are churches who can boast thousands of people per week and more coming in each week, coming through the doors every week. But in reality, the church hasn't grown in years. In reality, the church hasn't grown in years because the people in the church are fed milk and cookies. Are you hearing me? The people in the church are fed milk and cookies. So the fact is they haven't grown in years. Real truth is what produces real growth. Real, deep truth is what produces real, deep growth. The growing church isn't measured by how many people attend the service. It's measured by how many people within the church can truly say that they are maturing in their faith. It's not determined by how many people come through the doors. It's determined, listen, I would rather have big people in the church than a big church with shallow people. Do you hear me? Please hear my heart this morning. I would rather have big, mature people in the church than a huge church with a lot of very shallow people. It's time as Christians that we stretch ourselves, that we move ourselves to a place of maturity, that we stop living like children and we start growing up into adulthood. I told you this is not a very comfortable message this morning, but it's, it's not a very comfortable message for me either. It's something that I have to learn. It's something that, that I have to continually increase and mature. I have to continually be stretched and broken and rebuilt and broken and rebuilt. We pray, Lord, break us. Mold me, make me, use me. When a lot of times what we're saying is, Lord, let me sit in my chair and just leave me alone. The growing church isn't measured by how many people are, are in the building. It's measured by how many people can say they're maturing in their faith. First Peter chapter 4. We're going to start off this morning with verses 7 through 11. Before we go into this, into this scripture, let me just say a quick word of prayer. Lord, I pray over the message this morning. God, I pray that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be open. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit just moves in and through me. Not that it's coming from my bias and experience, but Lord, coming out of your heart. Lord, that they would hear the truth in love. That wouldn't be preached in anger or frustration, but that it would be preached in love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 7 through 11 says this. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. 
And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I like this. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I like that scripture. You might be saying, Pastor David, boy, that got a little uncomfortable for a second. But that's not so bad. Pastor David, so far so good. I'm not too offended. Hold on. Hold on. It's coming. If we're going to read this part of Scripture, 1 Peter 4, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, verses 7 through 11, we have to make sure we're reading it in context. Remember? We, have to, we can't just read the Bible. We have to read the Bible. We can't just read the Bible. We have to read the Bible. We have to read it in context. We have to read it in the way that it was written. If we're going to say that, you know, we, have to, we can't just take that one part of the Scripture and say, well, that's good. No, we have to take it all in. We have to take it all in. We can't just copy and paste the positive stuff and then ignore everything else. The context of 1 Peter is that it provides clear direction on what our conduct is supposed to be as Christians. This is where it starts to get uncomfortable. That the context of 1 Peter provides clear direction on, on how we should act, what we should do as Christians. Let me say it this way. Who you were before you came to Christ and who you are after you come to Christ should be vastly different. How can you go from death to life and there be no difference? Who you were before versus who you are after should be evident. Our conduct should be different. Life-giving salvation in Christ should be evident to those around you. I've been found by the grace and mercy of my Savior. How can I not be different? And I know this isn't a popular message in today's culture. In today's culture, this is not a popular message. The theme of a majority of churches is come as you are. Right? The theme of a majority of churches is come as you are. And please hear my heart this morning. I love that. There is absolute truth in that. Come as you are. Come as you are. We want people to come as they are. Amen? We want people to come as they are. But the Bible is very clear that while you should come as you are, that when you encounter Christ in your life, you should not stay as you were. Yes, we need to come as we are. We want to open the doors and tell people, come as you are. But when you reach Christ in your life, when you reach that point of salvation, it's not expected that you stay as you are. There should be growth. There should be maturity. 
people will come to a church service and they'll they've never they'll they'll accept Christ and they are what we call babes in the Lord. Babies in Christ. They're just mature maturity wise, they're just babies. And in the church, we are guilty all the time of just, well, there's that baby. And we're let's just keep giving them milk. Let's just keep giving them milk. Or we do this. We just ignore them. I once had a pastor who uh, we had uh, in our church, we had a door that led directly to the outside. And it was in the winter. And he was preaching on how we as, as the church need to take care of the babes and raise them up. But a lot of times we are guilty of just abandoning the babies. A lot of times we are guilty of them coming to Christ and we just go, well, make it on your own. So I think if maybe like William was here, he would be kind of in his little baby holder thingy. I don't know what it's called. Thank you, honey, a baby carrier. She helps me with these things. And the pastor, what happened was he was preaching, and he, there was a newborn baby, and he took the baby, and he took it, and he walked it right outside. And he put it outside, and he shut the door. Now, keep in mind, the mother was outside waiting. <laughs> okay. So there's no danger of a baby. But he shut the door and he looked and he said, this is what we do as Christians all the time. We want people to come as they are. And when they get saved, when they come to a place of salvation, we want to raise them up to maturity. Amen? We want to disciple them. We want to lead them. We want to help them grow. We want them to not just stay babes in the Lord. We want them to grow into maturity. We want them to grow into young men and young women of God. We want them to grow into leaders in the church and leaders in the faith. But there are people who have been in church for 20 years that are still drinking milk and cookies. Still babies. Not because people haven't told them the truth, but because they don't want to hear the truth. God has called you to grow and mature in your faith. Paul says it this way in Ephesians, that we are to walk worthy of the calling of which we were called. We are to walk worthy of the calling of which we were called. You are not, listen, I'm going to say this as clearly as I can. As a Christian, you are not called to just sit in a chair. As a Christian, you are not called just to sit in a chair each week and listen to a sermon and leave and come back the next week and do the same thing. And I know this isn't very comfortable. As a Christian, you are called to serve. As a Christian, we are called to serve. Christ is the ultimate example, but we are called to maturity in the faith. You say, Pastor David, this is a hard message. You are stepping on my toes. Better grab some band-aids because it's not going to get better anytime soon. Growing in your faith requires you to stop 
doing what you're doing and start growing in the Lord. 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 6. Here's the context of this. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. We are called to live for the will of God. Amen? Go to the next one. It's continued. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. What does all that mean? What does all that mean? What's said here is very clear. What's said here is very clear. Stop living like you did before you came to know Christ. Stop living like you did before you came to know the Lord. That's what it's saying very clearly. Stop stop that. Live for the will of God. And that's a difficult thing in today's culture. That's a difficult thing to hear in today's culture. A culture that screams to you from every angle that you should do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want. The Bible tells us clearly to stop it. There's some words there. What is lewdness? When we walked in lewdness, what is lewdness? Lewdness. We don't like to use that word much anymore. It's it's an older word. It means this. Unashamed indecency. Unbridled sexual lust. See, we don't use these words anymore. We have different names for these words now. We call it hooking up. We call it shacking up. Unbridled sexual lust. Unashamed indecency. Unashamed indecency. Please hear my heart this morning. Because people will say, well, you don't have a right to tell me how to live. Well, pastor, you don't have a right to tell me how to live. And that's where they would be right. They would be right. As a human person, I have my own issues. As a human person, I am broken just as you are. As a human person, I'm not perfect by any means. Ask my wife. Honey, am I perfect? You said yes. She said no. I'm not perfect by any means. But as the pastor of this church, I've been mandated by God to teach you the word of God. And the Bible says this in 2 Timothy. It says this. All scripture. Go to the next slide, please. Keep going. All scripture is God-breathed. 
and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Maybe thoroughly equipped. You see, me, I, in my humanness, am messed up too. I am messed up too. I, out of myself, don't have a right to tell you what to do. I, out of myself, I got my own, I got, I got my things in my own eye that I need to get out. Right? I messed up in myself. But God has set me over as the pastor of this church. And in this church, I'm telling you, this is just the way it is. The word of God will always take priority over the culture that we live in. The word of God will always take priority over the culture that we live in. When the culture that we live in says having sex before marriage is fine, I'm telling you the word of God says it's sin. God has called you. You say, well, Pastor David, well, you're the pastor. Yes, but God has called you as Christians. Not, not that I'm giving my own bias, my own opinions. I'm telling you what the Word of God says. I'm telling you what the Word of God says. And if you're a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, you are called to be witnesses of the truth that's in that Bible. If you are a Christian, you are called to be witnesses of the truth that's in that Bible. We have to understand first and foremost, before anything else, that these truths are conveyed in love. In love. You say, well, it doesn't sound very lovely. To love someone is to warn them away from destruction. To love someone is to guide them away from the fire. To love someone is to warn them. To love someone is not to ignore their sin or make them feel comfortable in their immaturity, but to help them grow and mature. Why? So that they can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why? So that they can be thoroughly equipped. We are sending people into battle with no armor. We are sending babies in the battle expecting them to do the work of grown men. And when they're lost to the world, they're lost to their own lust, they're lost to, they're lost to their own sin, we just wipe our hands and say, well, it had nothing to do with that. When the very fact is that as the church, we are called to help them grow. We are called to, to lead them away from immaturity into maturity. Why? So they can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But Pastor David, hold on a second. I mean, I know I'm living in sin. I know I'm doing this stuff. But isn't God a God of grace and mercy? Yes. But it's not grace and mercy for us to do whatever we want, whenever we want. It's grace and mercy for us to realize our sinful nature and come to him in repentance and sorrow so that we may live in his holiness. God is still holy this morning. Yes, he is full of grace, and yes, he is full of mercy, but yes, he is a holy God, and he will not be mocked. He is a holy God. 
And God has called us to live in holiness. Holiness. I like what Romans 6 and 15 says. This is out of the message translation. It paraphrases it, but it gives us a, a really good view. It says, so, since we're out from under the old tyranny, what does that mean? Now, let's take that. What does that mean? And then say, what does that mean? We've come to Christ. We're outside of the old tyranny. What does that mean? We've come to Christ now. Does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough of your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Go to the next one. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God, and the freedom never quits. All your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you started listening to a new master, one who commands you to be set free to live openly in his freedom. Now we are under a new master. We have listened to sin for far too long. We have let it rule our lives for far too long. But we are under a new master now. And when the new master says, stop doing that, in the name of Jesus, you need to stop doing that. It's his freedom. It's the freedom to live holy. It's the freedom to live holy. It's in the middle of this clear direction. I mean, he's given us clear, very, very clear direction. Stay away from these things. It's in the middle of this clear direction that Peter writes our opening scripture. I want you to go back to the opening scripture if you could. And so far, what I have shown you is the context of this scripture. And now he continues in saying this. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious. So there's first a word of warning. Be serious. There's a word of warning here. Be serious. Why? Because the end of all things is at hand. Now, you say, well, Pastor David, that was written 2,000 years ago. And the end of all things hasn't come yet. It was written 2,000 years ago, and it's even more relevant today. You say, well, Pastor David, I mean, what are you saying? Are you saying that the end is near? I'm saying we're a lot closer to the end than we were 2,000 years ago. Right? Be serious is what it's saying. Be serious. Stop living like a child that doesn't understand repercussions. Be watchful in your prayers. Everything in chapter 4 up until this point has directly been just squared directly at us. Just squared at us saying, you need to live righteously. They are words to give us direction towards holiness. You will notice that there is a distinct shift here. You see, growing in the Lord, a growing church, growing in the Lord, isn't just a call to holiness in our personal lives, which it is. 
It's how we interact with each other. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. You say, Pastor David, boy, that was, a, that was a real hard message you just preached. Now we're coming back up the hill. We're coming back up the hill because, listen, there are some times where we just need the word of God to speak to us directly, say, this is what you need to do. And it's a hard message, and it, and it's, it, it, can, be, it can bring us down. But it's always at that time where we are down that God starts to bring us back up. And above all, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Love one another fervently. I like that word, fervently. It means this. It means having or showing great warmth or intensity of spirit. Love one another with fervent love. For love will cover a multitude of sins. That phrase there is important. It's said this way. I'm going to mess up. You're going to mess up. Our friendship means that at some point in our relationship, I'm going to screw up and you're going to screw up. Isn't that right? How many ever screwed up in a relationship? There's a bunch of liars in this church this morning. How many, how many ever screwed up in a relationship? Mark? <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. Let's say Mark offends me. Mark is my friend. I like Mark. I like his smile. But he offends me. I can hold on to that grudge. Or I offend him, and Mark says, boy, that Pastor David, what is he thinking? And they can, we can hold on to that grudge, and it will ruin our friendship, and it will ruin our relationship. But the Bible is very clear. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, great warmth towards Mark. That Mark would have great warmth towards me. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. That when I offend him, when I sin against him, he covers it out of his fervent love. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. I love the words here. It's so clear. Just be nice to one another. And don't grumble about it. Right, Colby? Without grumbling, boy, I can't believe, you know what they wouldn't do. Doreen, would you believe what they did last week? Now they're asking me to help them out. Are you kidding me? Bunch of so-and-sos. Yeah, I'll help them out, I guess, whatever. I'll help them out because, you know, that's the Christian thing to do, right? No. Have fervent love for one another. Covers a multitude of sins and be hospitable to one another. Yeah, I'll help you. Yeah, you know, don't, you know what, what happened last week? Don't even worry about that. I'll help you out of my love for you. What happened last week? Yeah, that was, you know, man, I'm a messed up person. You're a messed up person. Let's get this through this mess together. You know what? Let's help each other out. Let's be hospitable to one another without grumbling. 
boy, I can't believe what that Bryce Hansen did to me. He asked me to help him out after he did that. He said that. You got to be kidding me. I love you, Bryce. I love you, Bryce. Right there. He gave me a heart signal. That's you complete me. Now. <laughs> be hospitable to one another. Love each other. Fervently. Well, Pastor David, what you just said offends me. Love me anyway. Why? Because I love you anyway. I love you guys. In the last part of this chapter, there's another shift. And this is what I love. There's, there's another shift. First, it's directed at us in our personal call to holiness. Then it's directed at us in our uh, responsibilities with each other. And then it goes to this. It goes to those who are ministers, who are called to, to it's directed to those who minister to those around us. Who is that? Who is that? Is that? That's not just me. It's all of us. That we are called to minister to those around us. Amen? That we are called to minister to those people at our jobs. We are called to minister to those people in our schools. We are called to minister to those people in our neighborhoods. Amen? If anyone speaks... Excuse me. As each one of us has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Minister to each other with the gift that God has given you. In doing so, we are reflecting his grace. You say, well, what do you mean? I have a, there's, there's, you have a gift. Some are gifted with just giving. Some are gifted with words of encouragement. Some are gifted with words of knowledge for people. Some are gifted with the prayer of faith for people. That when we have a gift, we are to minister it to one another. As good stewards of the grace of God, what does that mean? If you're not using the gift that God has given you, then you are ignoring and spitting in the face of grace. If you're not using the gift that God has given you to those around you and in the church and outside the church, if you're not using the gift that God has given you, you are ignoring the grace of God in your life. We're not being, you're not being a caretaker of his grace. We spoke about this last week. We spoke about it at the beginning of the message today. That God has not called us to be served. That God has called us to serve. And then it says this. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. 
that word oracle, oracle just simply means messenger. That messenger of God. You're, it's saying this. When you're ministering to one another, your words carry weight. Have we ever thought about the weight of our words? That it's not just me speaking, but when I'm speaking, I'm speaking as the oracle or the messenger of God. That Mark, when you're, when you're speaking to your coworkers and your friends and your loved ones, when you're ministering the, to them, that you are not just speaking the words of Mark, that you are speaking as a messenger of God. Have, have you thought that? That is heavy. Our words carry weight. There are some people that, and they're quiet people. Quiet people. Because they know that when they speak, their words carry weight. So they don't speak very often. Then there are people on the other side of the aisle. They never shut up. Come on. How many know people that they just spout off here and spout off there? I got an opinion about everything, and I'm going to let everybody know my opinion. Right? There are times in my life where I have been smacked upside the head for the things that I've said. Just maybe by, maybe by God just going, man, David, what are you thinking? Or maybe it's by my parents saying, what in the world are you thinking saying that? Slapped upside the head. Carol, you ever have to slap your boys upside the head? <laughs> Doug's smiling. <laughs> our words carry weight. As we're ministering to each other, our words carry weight. It is water to quench those who are thirsty. It is food to feed those who are starving. As we minister to one another, be careful with your words. Amen? If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. Austin, if you want to come forward. Now, with the ability that God supplies, it says this too. If anyone's, I, I, like, I like it when we're speaking about being a messenger of God. Keep in mind that your words carry weight. Keep in mind that your words carry weight. But listen, when we are ministering the word of God, When we are ministering the Word of God, you know, there's a lot of people who will just say, well, you know, this is what the Word of God says about your situation. You know, if, if, you, if you so choose to read the Bible and pay attention to it, you know, the, 
This is what it says. And a lot of people will kind of share and they'll just kind of like a little, like a shy little wallflower. Just, well, you know, I'm, I'm, this is what it says. I know this is what it says. And, and let me not say in a way that, that offends you. Let me not say in a way that's going to that's gonna make you leave the church. Let me just say it in the nicest way possible. So that, you know, you hear the truth, but you're not offended by the truth. When we are ministering the word of God, whether it's me ministering off the pulpit or you ministering it to your neighbors, your friends and loved ones, God has called you to stand up straight. Straighten your back. Speak with a loud voice and speak boldly because you are speaking the words of God. Speak in love, but speak boldly because you are speaking the words of God. Let him do it with the ability which God supplies that in all things God may be glorified. God is not glorified with them. Well, you know, it's just... You know, you probably should do this. No, God is glorified when I say, the word of God says that you are supposed to do this. Stop living this way and start living this way. That's when the, the word of God is glorified. When it's, when, listen, we have to fervently love them. If I love somebody and I see their house is on fire, I'm going to scream, I'm going to shout, I'm going to do everything I can to get their attention. Aren't you? Aren't you? You would bang on their door, you would rattle their windows, you would break through the panes. You would scream and shout, your house is on fire! We wouldn't just sit back there with a squirt gun and go, hey, you got a little fire in your house there. No, we would grab the fire hose. We would turn it on full blast, right? We would scream at the top of our lungs. And not only that, but we would grab another brother or sister in the Lord and tell them to come up, come up with us and help us hold that hose. And hey, over here, listen, there's someone in trouble. Their house is on fire. Let's grab them and pull them up. We're going to hold the hose together. We're going to get their attention. Why? Because we are in this together. It is not just my job to stand up in the pulpit and preach the good news or the word of God. It is your job too. We are to minister to those around us. Your house is on fire. Here's the water of the word. If anyone ministers... Let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ.
to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray over the word this morning. This is one of those words I was telling my wife. It's a, a word that I'm excited to preach, but don't necessarily want to preach. It's a hard message this morning. God, I pray that the people of this church, the, those hearing over podcasts, those, Lord, that they would hear my heart this morning. That I love them. It's out of my love for them that I preach so fervently. It's out of my love for them. It's out of the mandate that you have given me that I preach your word so fervently. Lord, I pray that you would open up the calling of each person in this church that you have called us to serve that you have given us ability, that through that ability we would glorify you. God, I pray this week that you give us opportunities to minister. You give us opportunities in our schools and, and our jobs and with our friends and neighbors to minister, that we would minister boldly and that we would minister in love. That, that, that we're, we don't minister out of our own bias or our own frustrations, but we minister out of the Word of God. That you have called us to live according to your Word. That you have called us to live according to your Word, not whatever I want to do. Lord, that we would fervently love each other this week. That we would forgive offenses that we would be hospitable without grumbling. That we would show our love to each other. Lord, I pray over each person here that you would bless them. Lord, that you would keep them. That you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, that you would give them rest. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. To whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. We'll see you next week.